This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. I was talking with a good friend the other day, and somehow in the conversation, she mentioned that in a certain South American country, it was not unusual for a girl's mother to pray to St. Rita of Kaskia for her intercession in finding just the right husband for her daughter. Well, I wasn't that familiar with St. Rita. And it's funny how a chance remark can set one's mind to thinking. How often do we remember to pray only when we want something? And how often do we just pray for the sake of honoring God with a prayer for His glory? Seems like prayer may have two parts, prayer and want, or need, and prayer for the glory of God. I guess it's sort of like the old phrase we've all heard before, the only time we hear from them, whomever that may be, is when they want something. Sound familiar? It does to me. Wonder what God thinks. Maybe, just maybe, that's why the saints are so important to us, how they live their lives to teach us, if we only listened or paid attention. And perhaps that's why St. Rita is such a great example, even though she lived many centuries ago, and why she was such a special child of God, and what we can learn from her life. Our story really starts with Antonio and Amada Mancini, who lived in the tiny village of Rocoparena, not too far from Caschia, in the Umbrian area of Italy. Both Antonio and Amada lived according to the will of God and love of neighbor. If someone was in trouble or in need, they didn't have to be asked. They would be there to assist in any way they could. While they were certainly not rich, they were always ready to share whatever they had with someone less fortunate. We hear about the golden rule. Well, they lived it. They lived their lives as examples of God's love. So there's another example of how we parents teach our children to also love and serve God by example. But something was missing in their lives. They wanted a child, but God had not sent them one, even though they were bombarding heaven with their prayers, confident of God's answer. Well, while lost in prayer one night, it is said that an angel appeared to Amata, telling her that it was the will of God that they would one day be blessed with a little girl who from the moment of her birth would be marked with the seal of sanctity, gifted with every virtue to be a helper of the helpless, and the child should be named Rita. That was a new name. It was unknown at the time. There were no Ritas. Well, the years would pass, and there was no child, and the couple were growing old, but held fast to the words of the angel. And when most everyone else would have given up, well, a little baby girl was born, and as a young child, those who saw her were dazzled by her radiant beauty. And, of course, she was named Rita. The year was 1381. Little Rita was exposed to living a life where home was a place of holiness, a house of prayer, and even a kind of sanctuary with a blend of charity. Strange and wonderful occurrences would follow Rita throughout her life, starting with her infancy. On the day following her baptism into the faith, there was a buzzing sound like a swarm of bees. 
Naturally, those present looked at each other, wondering what caused this sound, and then they looked at the angelic Rita sleeping peacefully and were shocked at what they saw. There was a large swarm of bees buzzing around the sleeping child. The bees were all a brilliant white. They circled her body and her head, and some even lighted on her lips and crawled in and out of her tiny mouth, but not a single bee would sting her, and she slept peacefully through it all. Those present felt that there must be a meaning to this, but none could explain it. Years later, Rita would say that it was a happy foretelling of the future. In Rita's early years, it became apparent that she was a special child and the recipient of God's many graces as a child empowered by innocence. Although Rita was liked by all the other children, she spent very little time associating with them in their games and frivolity. She preferred a solitary life and developed a love of meditating on the passion of Christ. In Rita's later years, if one were to ask her what she loved most of these pre-teen years, she would answer that her desire was to be alone in some remote place where she could spend her time praying and meditating on the passion of Christ. It's hard to visualize this at an age when most children look forward to fun and games. It's important also to remember how late in life Rita was born to Antonio and Amata, and how soon they would start experiencing the deterioration of their health and vitality in Rita's early years. And and Antonio would become frail and barely able to get around under his own power, and Amata likewise began tottering. Rita was only 12 years old when she firmly made her desire to serve God alone as his spouse in a religious order and told her parents of her decision to become a nun. Well, rather than being pleased, her parents' desire was for her to marry and enjoy the security of a wife of a successful man who would provide for her needs. Not too much later, Rita's parents told her that they had selected her future husband. While it's shocking for us, it was not that uncommon for girls to be married at the age of 12 at that time. But what of her promise to God about the single life as a religious? Well, interiorly, God made it known to her that she should obediently follow the desires of her parents without losing any of the merits she had already gained. She would obediently accept the will of her parents. In a way, this was to be a lesson for us, too, that God's ways are not always our ways. A young man, prosperous and successful, but less than a happy disposition was selected, regardless, too, of the fact that he was not religious. However, his position and financial status would ensure Rita's future security. His name was Ferdinando. They were married, but his words and actions were often harsh and cruel. Rita accepted without reservation all the humiliations he inflicted on her. With a smile that was her symbol of patience and humility, she offered this as a sacrifice to Almighty God. 
Well, as the time wore on, Ferdinando's disposition and actions became like an instrument of torture. However, Rita's sweetness never changed. She was content to stay at home, visit her now aging parents, and to spend more and more time in church and in prayer. Gradually, her serenity and religious fervor began to have a pronounced effect on Ferdinando. His rages became less frequent and dramatically less hostile until, over time, Rita's calm demeanor and practiced faith converted his violence into that of a changed man with peace and harmony. He was to become a loving husband as gentle as a lamb. Although Rita was saddened by the death of her parents, she and Ferdinando were eventually blessed with two beautiful children, Giovanni first, and then came Paolo, and she taught their children that the greatest enemy was sin. She taught by example, fasting, prayer, sacrifice, little actions and kindnesses that would be a pleasing offering to God. And she was a frequent visitor to the sick in her community, where she would pray with them for their recovery. One day, as an example, she passed a beggar, hungry and half-naked, trembling from the cold. Well, without a second thought, she gave him her cloak. And when someone would complain of their burdens, she would just comment, Place all the weight of your trials and tribulations on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. He will carry them for you. Remember, he once carried a heavy cross. Well, she was to have her cross, too. Although she was responsible for the change in Ferdinando, there were others remembering his poor treatment of them in the past and seeking retribution or revenge. Several gathered together and took his life to avenge his earlier actions. Well, as you can imagine, Rita was devastated at the loss, but strong in her faith. She pled for the lives of the murderers, forgiving them and asking pardon, as Jesus did for his executioners, from the cross. Her sons had grown into handsome young men and were holy for a large part of their lives, but as they grew older, they became angry and sought revenge for their father's murder. She pleaded with them that one murder does not justify another murder, but her words seemed to fall on deaf ears. They wanted what they considered justice, and they vowed to seek their own revenge. Rita could not bear the thought of her sons committing murder. If they would not change, then she prayed to God that he would take their lives rather than see them commit murder and risk the fires of hell. God heard her prayers, and both sons died a natural death within a year. Rita was now an orphan. Her parents were dead, her husband had been murdered, and her two sons had died. And then Rita made a thoughtful decision. Her mind must have leapt back to her youth. She would live her life solely for God, as once she had dreamed so many years ago. Her mind made up, Rita went to church, and the sermon that day was, If thou wilt be perfect, go sell what thou hast and give it to the poor, and follow me. But she never left home unless she would go to visit the sick, help the poor, or go to church, and she started to give away her possessions to those in need. Well, 
There were two convents close by, but she seemed to be led by divine providence to the convent of St. Mary Magdalene, called the Madalena. And meeting with the prioress, she explained her desire to enter the convent and become a nun, and that she longed for the Augustinian habit to be worn as she served the Lord. However, she was refused because she had been married, and even though a widow, the nuns had rejected her application. But instead of returning home, something kept her there. In the home of her friend in Kaskia, she applied again and was rejected again, and then again a third time and another rejection. But the God of the universe is used to rejection, and he obviously stepped in. It was night, and she was in deep prayer when she heard a knock on the door and her name being called. Even though it was very late at night, she opened the door and saw no one, and returned to her prayers when she heard the voice again as she was lost in prayer. And then she had a vision. She was visited by St. John the Baptist, St. Augustine, and St. Nicholas of Tolentine. And then there was a voice unlike any she had ever heard, saying, Come, Rita, my beloved, it is now time for you to enter the Madalena convent whose door was closed against you. In front of her, wearing sheepskin, was John the Baptist, who signaled her to follow him, and they were joined again by St. Augustine and St. Nicholas, where they led her through the locked doors of the Madalena, where every door, every window, and every entrance was locked, and yet they entered. Regardless of all of that, they led her into the cloister where she was told, Rita, remain a rational bee in the garden of the spouse of whom you have so long and ardently loved, so that collecting the flowers of virtue, you may build a sweet honeycomb. You are now in the house of your spouse, Jesus. Love him with your heart and soul praise his infinite mercy, and publish, there is nothing impossible to God. When morning came and the nuns found Rita in the midst of their cloister, they were amazed how she could get in. There was no way, absolutely no way, everything was locked then and now. With absolute humility, Rita explained what had happened, and the nuns were frozen in amazement. The nuns almost cried out in a single voice. She was home. They wanted her there. This would be her home forever, even renouncing her native village of Rucoparena in favor of Kaskia, and at the same time disposed of all her temporal goods to the poor. Though she had never received a formal education as we know it, an interior light seemed to infuse her with spiritual truths, and she seemed happiest when performing the lowliest tasks. After making her profession of vows, she had a mysterious vision of a ladder with a top touching heaven. Each rung of the ladder would be a spiritual virtue to be attained and practiced, and while she was looking at the vision of the ladder, she heard a voice that said, Rita, if you wish to unite yourself to God in heaven, you must climb this ladder. 
Her direction was simply to grow in virtue, one virtue at a time, one step at a time, ascending higher and higher in order to please God and attain eternal salvation. Perhaps that's a message again for us, too. She meditated on the poverty of Christ, who, when he died, possessed only three nails and a crown of thorns, repeating his word, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Consequently, living that thought, she wore only one habit for the rest of her life, the one in which she wore when she was received into her religious order and was buried in the very same habit. And her cell in which she lived was a tiny room with only a wooden bench on which she would sit or sleep. She slept only a few hours a night and was never idle during her waking hours, spending her time in prayer or tasks for her community. For more than 40 years, she led a life of penance and sacrifice. While trying not to be obvious, Rita's fame for virtue and holiness spread far from the confines of the Madalena convent, and people and religious from almost every walk of life would seek her counsel and advice. Many people who were ill were cured, and those with personal problems were helped, as she spoke beautifully and simply of the mysteries of our faith, and her fervent prayers were powerful. One example was a woman who came to Rita to seek her prayers for her daughter. Doctors had given up all hope. The child was dying. Well, Rita hastened to the chapel and asked God to spare the child. And when the mother returned home, the child was in perfect health. This action was to be repeated over and over throughout her lifetime, and she never attributed any cure or success to herself, but through the grace of God. Perhaps one, if not the most sorrowful part of her life, was the thought of Christ's suffering on the cross, and she wished to share in a part of that suffering. In the chapel, Rita prayed for just one of the seventy-two thorns in the crown that pierced his head from the cross, so that she may feel a part of his pain. As she prayed, it was as though Jesus had suddenly fired a thorn at Rita, and that thorn pierced her forehead through the flesh and bone, leaving a wound that would last for the rest of her life. And the pain was well-nigh unbearable, but joyously kept but she would obviously bear it as a gift from God. Today, most of the pictures of her show the thorn in her forehead. The mark was ugly to look at, and as the pain increased, Rita spent more time in her cell in prayer and thanksgiving. This ugly scar was to be with her for the remainder of her life. Well, Pope Nicholas V had proclaimed a jubilee year in 1450, and many of the nuns were to go on pilgrimage to Rome for special indulgences, and Rita wished to join them, but her superiors refused because the wound in her forehead was so ugly. She feared it, the sight would detract from the worship of God, and Rita prayed that God would take away the wound, but not the pain, so she could join the sisters' pilgrimage. And God heard her prayers and granted her wish. The scar disappeared, and she was allowed to go. And while she was gone, although the scar had disappeared, 
while the pain remained. In Rome, her piety, devotion, and sanctity, even with the humility she practiced, caused people to look at her and say, that Augustinian nun is an angel on earth. Returning back home from Rome to her convent, as read across the threshold of the convent, the wound on our forehead immediately reappeared with excruciating pain. Pain mixed with a disgusting odor, and as distasteful as it sounds, the wound was also covered with worms. God must have been pleased with her sacrifice and devotion, for it is said that she was favored by a vision of Christ who disappeared after giving her a glimpse of heaven. This extra pain lasted for four years, and Rita was miraculously nourished only by the body and blood of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. As an illustration of the power of God, one day in January, when the hills of Brumbia were freezing and the cold winds were hollowing, Rita asked a cousin to go to Rita's old home in Roccoparena and bring her a fresh rose. They questioned finding a rose in winter, but Rita said, nothing is impossible with God. Well, to humor her, the cousin went and found a perfectly blooming rose in the garden, which she brought back. And to this day, to commemorate the miraculous rose, roses are blessed each year in all the churches of the Augustinian order on the feast of St. Rita. Soon after the miracle of the rose, Rita asked for two figs to be brought from the garden. The doubt was the same. It was winter. There would be no figs. But on going to the garden, there was a tree with just two perfect figs. Rita took these two events as a symbol that her days on this earth were coming to a close, and that it was a sign that she would pass from this life to enjoy for all eternity the incorruptible flowers and seasoned fruits of the celestial paradise. In order to reveal to Rita that she would soon be called to heaven to enjoy the eternal happiness, Christ, accompanied by his mother, appeared to Rita and said, I am your celestial spouse, who kindled in your heart the fire of divine love and filled your soul with virtues, in accordance with your ardent desires." Within a few days, you will depart from this world to enjoy an eternal rest in your celestial country. Rita told the sisters, I am not afraid to die. I know already what it is to die. It is to close the eyes to the world and open them to God. When she realized that death was near, Rita's last words were, Love God above all things. With that, it has been said that Rita's soul was carried to heaven by an army of angels. She was 76 years of age and had been an Augustinian nun for 46 years. Immediately after her soul had been carried to God's eternal kingdom, her cell was filled with an unnatural light, and the nuns all noticed that from her body there arose an aroma that to all the world seemed like a garden filled with roses, lilies, and other fragrant flowers, and that sweet fragrance soon filled the entire convent. And in the scar on her forehead, those horrible little worms had disappeared, and in their place there seemed to be 
twinkling little lights, and the scar itself shone with beautiful brightness of a red ruby. And her body was beautiful and looked just like she was peacefully sleeping. She had the appearance of a much younger woman, and her face, well, it can only be described as more beautiful in death than in life. At the moment of her death, unseen hands caused all the bells in the convent to start ringing, and at her funeral, all those in the church shared in the unknown fragrance of beautiful flowers, as well as a heavenly light surrounding her body. Oh, there were many cures that took place. One of Rita's relatives had an arm that was paralyzed, and as she touched the body of Rita, the arm was instantly cured. More and more miracles were attributed to the intercession of Rita, then and now. God, looking with special graces on his beloved servant, has not allowed any decay in the body of this humble servant. Her flesh has been described as milk-white. Her mouth is slightly parted so that you may see her white teeth, and her eyes are half open. And yes, she is still wearing the same habit she wore for 46 years as a nun, and it too is still intact as she rests in the convent of the Madalena since 1457. It would take volumes to tell about all the miracles and blessings that have been delivered through her intercession for people with difficulties and afflictions of every type. She was beatified by Pope Urban VIII in 1627 and joined the family of saints as she was canonized by Pope Leo XIII in 1900. When one reads the story of the life of St. Rita of Caskia, one readily sees why she is often called the saint of impossible things. She is also the patron of sickness, wounds, marital problems, abuse, and, of course, mothers. And perhaps the story of the white bees buzzing around her cradle and even entering her tiny mouth was an indication of the sweetness that would characterize her life. St. Rita, wife, mother, nun, who showed us through her example that God must come first, and we better pay attention to that. St. Rita of Kaskia, pray for us. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.